It is November 23rd, and um, <sighs> I'm not sure how much brain power I have, but at the same time, I had still wanted to talk about the specifics of treatments and, um, and the difficulty of what's going on. I, I, um, I watched this documentary about um, a mountaineer. Um, and he, he had got um, stuck, you know, I mean, it's uh, basically he was on the verge of death, hanging from a rope. And uh, he called it touching the void and uh, the sense of loneliness, the, the, the knowledge no one was coming, although obviously he was able to get help. The person he was attached to cut the rope and he found a way out himself, but the reality was there was no way for anybody else to, to rescue him. At least that's, that was his feeling. And, um, and the way he described it, I, uh, I, I understood exactly what he meant. So this is exactly how I feel, you know, um, it's, uh, um, yeah. I mean, to say it's difficult would be, um, uh, I, I don't, I don't actually have words. I, I, I really don't. I don't actually have words. Um, other than that sensation of, of utter aloneness that he described. And, um, I think it's part of why I did apply for MAID is that I knew, I know, that when I am not the driving force on the fight for me to stay alive, nobody else is going to drive that. Nobody else understands my disease the way I do, understands the bureaucracy, understands the government, uh, understands the medical system with the measure of extensive... It's like, it's like a spider web of knowledge. You have to know all those pieces to know how to fight. You know, each step, I'm the one prodding. I'm the one prodding, you know, my MLA's office to find someone to talk to, my advocate, my, my doctors. You know, I'm the one even now struggling to read research papers that I'm just too cognitively impaired due to lack of supports. And so I've been feeling despair, just despair. And I, you know, I mean, there's an article I wrote that just came out that has a, a title I wouldn't have chosen. Because um, the problem is when you use anywhere in the title, made and choice, people, I don't think people even read the article because they think, oh, well, she's choosing to die. And it's like, no, it's not what's happening. When I run out of money for the supports that are keeping me alive, I don't get to stay alive. And then it's what kind of death. But if you put it in the title, then even if they do read it, they, they start out with this misconception. They don't start out with an open mind. The Chatelaine article had something like that. The op-ed I wrote over a year ago, they put that kind of title on it. And it's just like, oh, no. And I'm so cognitively impaired, I, I forgot to say um, like, please don't put that kind of title on it or just make my own title. I just, I just fell out of my ear. <laughs> like, I just can't, re it's like my brain sometimes feel like they're just dribbling out of my ears. Like, where's, where's my cognition? I don't know. 
So let's talk about the treatments. Let's talk about what I'm currently doing. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. And, I, and again, as I have during the whole length of the podcast, I'm going to say what works for me may not work for you if you do suffer from post-viral disease, if you do suffer from particularly myalgic encephalomyelitis, um, there are families of disease within all post-viral diseases and especially myalgic encephalomyelitis. Um, a, you need to have launch energy and B, you can make yourself super sick by doing something that, that isn't built for how your energy production system is being impeded, how it, it may be damaged, what may be going on. Um, and, and one of them is hyperbaric chamber. So I've read a lot of long COVID, you know, trying hyperbaric, hyperbaric chamber and it makes them super sick. Like it sets them back. And so I'm going to talk about my experience with the hyperbaric chamber. But, but you, you have to understand that I didn't do it unsupported. Um, I did it with a bunch of biochemistry that we put in my body before we stuck me in the hyperbaric chamber. You know, like it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of Sherlocking. And I say that in particular to the long COVID community, because you're, I know it's going to sound weird for me to say only, you're only a few years into your disease, because I know it feels like an eternity, an absolute eternity, but I'm 43 years into it. So I, I do have a little bit of a different perspective and, and that's not at all to invalidate that, that feeling of internity, that feeling of, I want to get out of this as soon as possible and, 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 and as easy and quick as possible. And so the caution I'm giving you is that by jumping at any sort of possible, oh, this might be a thing, you might actually be setting yourself back. You might actually be permanently disabling yourself. You might be removing the possibility of healing. And so I, I, I as gently and with as much compassion, I mean, I, I love you guys. I know you guys. I don't have to know you as individuals. I know you're suffering. I know it. It's part of why I'm keeping fighting. I'm still fighting. Um, I, so I, I, I urge you caution. And then all the treatments I'm going to talk about, I, I, the first thing, if you have any financial capacity to do it, is, is get housekeeping, get pre-made meals, get someone else to do your laundry. These are the best healing things you can do is to reduce energy expenditure. Do not let anyone talk you into graded exercise therapy. Some people are now calling it pacing. And it's like, dude, that's not a thing. The way you're saying that is graded exercise therapy. Pacing is true pacing is um, say you you are at a stage of ME or um, the, that energy production deficit where you could go for a walk. The way you pace is you remove energy expenditure someplace else. You know, you only have a budget of X. You don't magically have a bigger budget. And that's what GET is, is trying to say. They're looking at it like it's a different kind of physical illness. And it's like, no, well, actually, they're looking at it, psychosomatizing it, you know. I know I've said that many times, but I'm saying it again because I know how you're feeling. And, and I know you may, well, how could she know? She's presuming. I would have done anything. I would have done anything. And I read your posts on Twitter. I've read the articles of what you're going through. And I know exactly how you feel.
exactly. You are not alone. And I know it's hard to hear someone say like, oh, be patient. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. I know. All right. So I was unwilling to try the hyperbaric chamber at first because the POTS was so bad post or static. I can't remember what it stands for. I'm sorry, my brain. Um, but the, the POTS was so bad. I thought adding the pressure of the hyperbaric chamber would just throw it through the roof and I'd be trapped in this machine, you know? Now I was using a soft shell hyperbaric. Unfortunately, I've lost access to it because the naturopath I was seeing was told by Health Canada, like, oh, we're forbidding soft shell hyperbaric. Now, hard shells are still allowed and hard shells could actually hurt you because they can reach pressures um, that could hurt you. But a soft shell cannot reach those pressures. So whatever's going on is not kosher. It doesn't look kosher. It doesn't smell kosher. It, there's something weird happening um, with that forbidding. If the technology is okay, then soft shells are the safer option in this kind of therapeutic environment. No one's got the bends. No one's been diving. No one is a third degree burn patient. You don't need to go to those pressures. And the hard shells cost three times more. So someone like a naturopath, um, just the price they'd have to pass on to a patient would just be something that most naturopaths wouldn't even want to to do and and to purchase it at like forty thousand dollars versus twelve thousand dollars like yeah anyway so i had tried abilify so i mean there's sort of a sequence that led me up to being willing to try it the first was the oxygen concentrator um when my naturopath <laughs> suggested it i thought he'd lost all his marbles so i uh i said my blood ox is fine he says well let's just try it let's just try it if it doesn't do anything it doesn't do anything and i'm like okay and we did it during the intravenous and wow um a, a solid energy difference i could see better which was um very very strange and i'm um, sorry hold on here i just realized i don't have do not disturb on okay um i hope you can't hear my text tweeting away there uh, did I mention how my brain is not really working very well? Okay, there we go. Um, so we tried that. Um, and, you know, but it wasn't something I had regular access to because normally it was hooked up to the hyperbaric chamber and it's super loud. So we did that three separate times, exactly the same result. For 10 days, the POTS resolved. I mean, I didn't have any dizziness when I tried to get up. Maybe not resolved, but didn't have some of the worst symptoms. But after 10 days, it was just gone. After seven days, it started to like, get a little wobbly. And after 10 days, it was like I'd never done it. Um, and all, all three times, well, Two of the times we did it with an intravenous, once I did it the following day, we did have solid energy improvements, which is great. So a friend, through a series of events, we ended up getting me an oxygen concentrator. Now, doing it at home, by the time I got home on my mobility scooter, it was usually about an hour or so, um, it, it wasn't nothing, but it wasn't the same effect as doing it with the intravenous. I thought that's interesting. So I had tried Abilify doing a whisper dose, which uh, the studies that came out were between um, 0.1 and 1 milligram of Abilify, which works on the glial cells. Apparently it helps the glial cells that are part of the nervous system to work. I'm sorry, I can't explain a lot more than that because 
I, I couldn't understand the papers. Um, and so I'll, my, my, um, my nurse practitioner, I've been working with the Complex Chronic Diseases Clinic, and this was their suggestion. I, I, I you know, talk with my pharmacist. I have a, like a clinical pharmacist um, at the university. So I talked it over with him and finally decided, okay, let's give it a go. One milligram made me super sick, um, really bad gas. Um, so then I backed all the way down to like, like dust off the pill. And then I started to feel a little bit better. Um, it seemed to make the intravenous work better. So it wasn't so much like the pill, but the intravenous started looking like it was working better. I felt a little, well, I mean, when I was taking the pill, I had to take it at night because it was making me super tired. Now I've come to a point where I do take it in the morning because it was waking me up. But anyway, I improved enough that I was willing to do the hyperbaric. Um, within three treatments, um, there were comments at the clinic that I seemed more cognitively, you know, I can't remember the words they were using, but they, they seemed more cognitively able. Um, efficient maybe is the better word because I don't have, I'm not disabled cognitively. I'm just struggling, like going through quicksand. Um, that my skin color was changing. I'm about five, six shades too dark. And I suddenly looked brighter was the word that was used by one of the nurses. And the the biggest thing that one of the nurses commented on is, oh my God, your vein is acting like a vein. My veins just don't. Um, he said, when I, when I put the needle in, I could feel the vein pushing against me. And then I pop through. And um, this porousness, which I suspect is part of mast cell activation, um, really makes it hard to find a vein um, on me. So, uh, but then, you know, I mean, I think I'd been on the hyperbaric for a few weeks and then I lost access to it, but more than that's not even true. I, a couple of weeks at, at two to three a week. And then financially I had to drop it down to one a week. And then after a month I lost, lost access to it. Um, cause that's when he was told he couldn't use it anymore. So boy, <laughs> talk about a roller coaster ride. I was so heartbroken, so heartbroken. I mean, if I had been able to afford to keep doing it at two to three times a week, three was actually a little bit much. Um, two felt best. Again, it's this launch energy. It's like it wanted to do this healing. There was one day towards when he was having to shut everything down that um, the schedule was a bit tight with somebody else who needed it. So I said, okay, let's just do it ahead of the intravenous. And by the time I got home, I had what I, I understood and did a little search and like, oh, okay, this is a visual migraine on the left side of both eyes. It was like wavy and it, and I was reading up that diabetes, uh, diabetics and anorexics often have this. And I thought, I, I wonder if, it's because we did it ahead of time and let me eat some sugar. So I had two small Snickers fun sized bars and it resolved in a minute. It just disappeared. So it's like, okay, it likes to be after the intravenous, definitely. And it felt really hard. It felt much harder uh, on my body before than it had after. Although the Myers, I mean, the, the intravenous, the Myers, and I think I've talked about this before, but just a, a quick recap. The Myers is a, for me, it's a, there's a, a general recipe for the Myers, but mine is a specialized recipe. It's a combination of amino acids, um, high amounts of vitamin C. We're up to 35 CC right now. Um, and, um, you know, various of the B complex, uh, a little bit of magnesium. I can't tolerate very much. 
Um, and again, different recipes can have different combos. And for me, I needed a very specific combo. And then after that, glutathione at a 30-minute uh, drip. Um, the shorter, I do feel better, but it doesn't hold. And for me, it's all about holding at this point. Um, when I was doing the Myers and glutathione alone three times a week, we got solid improvement. But that's a lot of traveling, even on my mobility scooter at a, a closer to me clinic. Um, and so right now, what we're doing with the loss of the hyperbaric is the oxygen concentrator with the glutathione. So right at the very same time, and that seems to make a huge difference. I mean, within five minutes, um, my vision, which I've struggled with, it gets sort of blurry. There's something weird going on with it. I suspect it's that the muscles that control the eye are just too weak in the same way the muscles all over my body are too weak. So it's, it's very interesting to have it be super clear. Now, I'm going to put a little caution here about oxygen concentrators. If you don't need it, if your biochemistry is not broken in a way that that really says, yes, I need this, you can harm yourself. Um, I did a lot of reading before I even was willing to try it. Um, you can go blind. You can end up with oxygen toxicity. Like it is not something to play around with unsupervised. And I, I am not unsupervised. I'm just not supervised in a way that's covered. <laughs> like that's the problem. The other interesting thing I found with the oxygen concentrator is I could do it when, we, when we weren't doing it with the glutathione, when I was just running home to do the one here at my home. Within a couple of days, when I would try to, to continue to use it over the course of the week, um, it was like somebody put a pillow over my face. The oxygen didn't feel like oxygen. It felt like I was suffocating in a very similar way to the cell suffocation feeling. Um, but when I do the oxygen concentrator with the glutathione section of the intravenous, I find that for almost all of the week, I can do the oxygen concentrator at different points. And I am very cautious about how long I do it. Um, we don't really understand why I'm, how I'm broken because we haven't run any tests on cell function. We haven't run togenic tests. Like the MSP, the universal healthcare system has done none of those. We haven't done neurological studies. We, we like all the things you really should be doing to understand what treatments and how have been built on trial and error, which is nonsense. Um, so, and then I do still take a host of oral supplements, serapeptase, um, which I had tried on and off over the last 12, 13 years. Um, only really when I deteriorated does serapeptase help me. Now, it's interesting to hear the long COVID community talk about it in regards to uh, microclots. Do I have microclots? Is that why it's helping? Is this a problem that got instigated by the deterioration? That's why serapeptase didn't help before. Who the heck knows? Because we haven't looked to see if I have microclots. I don't have anybody to look for that. Um, I had the suggestion of a pulse test, P-U-L-S, which looks at endothelial function. Um, it's normally run for cardiac patients, but it would tell you about cell leakage. Now, a lot of long COVID researchers are talking about endothelial damage. Um, we, you know, we haven't run that. I asked for it to be run and she said, well, I didn't see any protocols to run it for ME. And, and I said what I always say, which is <laughs> like the research hasn't been done. You don't have a category of coverage. You're not going to find it that way. Now there's a 
history of heart disease. My grandma dropped dead of a heart attack with all of my symptoms. So you could use that as a, but no, no, that wasn't happening. So this is what I keep running into. Again, this is why I proposed to the government that I be made a case study. And again, still no reply. Um, I think I talked last time about, you know, the great, <laughs> I mean, the, uh, the great groundhog day that I'm trapped in with the government when they roll over on a, a new staffer and my case isn't put into their hands. And it's just like, oh my God. And I'm laughing because I don't know what else to do. Not because it's funny or I feel okay about it. I feel a lot of despair. I feel like, is help coming? Is help coming? I mean, we're set to have a new premier, David Eby, who roots are in the Pivot Law Society, which was a nonprofit, you know, law society, you know, but does he even understand? I mean, I've spoken to his office over the last like oh, six or seven years about what's happening to me, but I, I don't know if he really understands what's going on or the fact that I'm, I'm being joined by hundreds of thousands of long COVID here in British Columbia and millions across Canada. And it's just going to get worse because COVID is not being managed. You know, I mean, the, these new variants are causing people to become infected and infected. And the long COVID community has been very clear that the more times you're infected, the higher risk you are of developing you know, post-viral COVID issues, whether they be myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is pretty standard for most long COVID. Um, but also you're looking at, you know, um, early onset dementia, heart disease. They're seeing lung issues in children. Like, <laughs> and these aren't people who are officially long COVID. You know, long COVID, I think, forgive me if I'm saying this at all wrong, um, but her self-identifying is just becoming increasingly disabled um, and impaired. Um, but post-viral diseases don't always init initially disable. And I think I was reading a, a, a long COVID person who had become disabled because she hadn't been instructed to just rest, rest, rest. And, and so she was talking about how she'd been told to do graded exercise therapy and had become disabled by it. And she's now telling her fellows, you know, rest. I know it's so hard. I know it feels counterintuitive, but rest is the only shot you have because she felt if she had known that, if she had known the stakes were disability, that she would have approached it differently, um, you know, with the first manifestations of disease. But this is all this miseducation. All right, so what else am I doing? Um, PEA, I mean, I, there's a host of, and I think I've talked about some of these supplements already, so maybe I shouldn't. Oh, the new stuff. Okay, so let's talk about metformin. <laughs> I do not have diabetes. Metformin is a diabetes drug or a pre-diabetes drug, first suggested by a nutritionist to see if we can't tackle the escalating edema, because for some people, it really helps with edema. Now, at that time, it made zero impact on my crazy ass edema, like what, 50 some odd pounds, 12 pound daily swing, like what the heck, leaking through punctures, I just have like clear liquid leaking, I'm so edemic. Um, it didn't help with that, but it made my thyroid meds work dramatically better, like shockingly better. And so I was on about 500 mil milligrams a day um, until I started doing the intravenous um, 
closer to my home and at higher rates. And then the thyroid meds seemed to be okay. Now, because it gave me terrible diarrhea, I thought like it'd be nice to be off this. So I was reading up, I can't remember what I read to sort of make me think, hmm, I wonder if I should go back on that again. And so I, um, I, I'm at a stage of deterioration now that I, I couldn't handle 500. I went down to a quarter of a pill at, at night because it knocks me over. But, but I started taking it because of the numbness in my hands and toes. Like this, at first I thought it was the swelling was so bad because my fingers were locking. The middle finger was like locking in a rolled over position. And, you know, I was waking up without access to that finger on both hands. The right was worse. But the, the tips of my fingers and toes would just be completely numb. Now, I was so swollen at the time, I thought it was the swelling, but I'm still having some manifestations of it now that I've been doing the metformin. Um, it, it's, so it's something else. I'm, I'm more than a little worried about that new neurological symptom. But for me, um, so years ago, I had been taking chromium picolante. I may be mispronouncing that. Um, and it seemed to really help with the sensation of wanting to eat all the sugar. Um, which I suspect is part of the body not being able to process carbohydrates and fats into the cell properly. And then when I stopped doing the Myers all those years ago, 20 odd years, 17 odd years ago, 18 odd years ago, I guess now, um, then we were looking at, um, it wasn't working anymore. Now, it never occurred to me to increase the amount. So I started reading about um, the effect on blood sugar on diabetics. Now, I am not a diabetic. That is a disorder of the pancreas. Um, this is how the cell is processing it, but it may be showing symptoms similar because it's about the body not processing sugar. Now, it's in a very different way. I had uh, metformin described to me as like it, it helps loosen up a, a leaky hinge, a, 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 a creaky hinge, a stuck hinge in the cell that allows you to process, you know, carbs and sugars into the cell. So uh, the best I've done now is 600 mcg of chromium with the metformin. And that's allowing me to take more of the metformin without being collapsed. I'm now seeming like I'm relatively comfortable on 500 milligrams still at night. It still makes me super tired. So I take all of it together at night. Um, I, I even hesitated to take that much, but I checked with my pharmacist and I looked at a reputable company who, who, who makes this pill and makes it as a 600 MCG. So I, I thought, okay, I got the nod on both of those as that see me because you can harm yourself. Things that can help can also harm. That is the nature of the beast. More is not necessarily better. And I did play up to see if more was better, but more of the chromium seemed to make me sick. 600 seems to be a comfortable, a comfortable place for me. But again, these are all very specific biochemical damage, biochemical deterioration because they didn't have the supports I needed 20 years ago. Um, you know, all of the things I'm doing. I mean, the other interesting thing is, okay, so I'm, I think I mentioned before, I'm taking uh, liposomal glutathione and uh, vitamin C along with the amino acid, the full amino acid capsules. Um, when we increased the vitamin C to 35 cc's and I had like three days of the sinus infection settling, you know, these chronic infections that I'm getting, the sinus infection is one of the biggest, baddest ones because it really instigates pain all the way down the spine, um, which is another question mark about what's going on there. Um, 
so I thought, well, what if I increase my liposomal C? Now, I have struggled digestively with it, so I've switched to a new brand that I seem to be doing a little better with, and I'm trying to take it three to four times a day, and that seems to be helping with the infections versus me taking herbal antimicrobials all the time. Uh, again, just because it's herbal doesn't mean it can't hurt you. And I do think the level I had to take to manage the infections were exacerbating liver damage likely done by the Epstein-Barr virus and, and possibly still being done. Because as I've mentioned before, the Epstein-Barr virus can turn off the killer T cells ability to see it. So it may not be attacking. It may not, uh, so it, it, it may not be showing any antibodies, but it doesn't mean the Epstein-Barr virus isn't active. Long COVID is not just having many long COVID many, not like, or some, long COVID having a reactivation of Epstein-Barr in a way that is visible to conventional tests, a aka the antibodies are showing. They're also finding that it's turning off the killer T cells ability to see COVID. Now, do any of them have Epstein-Barr active with the killer T cell turned off? I don't know. And there's a lot of conversations going on around hypermobility. So this increased amount of vitamin C some of the things I've read, I mean, the cartilage in particular is composed of vitamin C. So it, it, the body may scavenge vitamin C out of your cartilage, and that includes the lens of your eyes, all the joints in your body, um, and, and, and creating new and interesting pain problems, which is what's happened for me. I, I'm, I'm wondering if it's actually shoring up the ligaments or, or, or making that cartilage strong enough that this hypermobility that I, I suffer from with some ligaments too long and a, and a few of them too short. So the, the pain levels are just, you know, off the charts and pain eats energy. So a lot of long COVID have been talking about hypermobility things, things that look like joint deterioration in their necks or various parts of their bodies, ligament damage is what it sounds like. No, I haven't read a lot of research on this yet. But I mean, vitamin C, from what I've read, is, is you pee it out, liposomal sort of holds it in the body a little longer, but it, it doesn't run around and do damage. Um, it, it's, it's one of the lesser benign things to do, for me at least, to support my immune system. It does have antimicrobial um, abilities. It has um, antioxidant you know, components to it. And it's a key component of energy production along with a bunch of other biochemical things. Now, the first time we had tried to increase vitamin C, uh, it was a higher amount, but it also made me super sick. So more is not necessarily better if you don't yet understand what all the other pieces is. So anything that I'm doing or anything that you choose to try in any way, shape, or form, I always would suggest to slow walk yourself into it. Um, you don't know what your launch energy is. You don't know what other pieces might be missing. And, and the likelihood you're being tested for any of those things is really small, especially if you don't have money to go outside of the system for that help. Um, outside of the universal healthcare system, the allopathic system. Um, and, and that's really frustrating. 
So, um, I, that's all I can remember to say at the moment. Um, if you have any questions, like feel free to, um, on Twitter. Um, I am, uh, I am Madeline pod is the podcast one. And then I, I created a, one for more personal communications with, with folks, Madeline, um, nerd, nerd fighter, Madeline nerd. I can't even remember Madeline nerd, I think. Um, and, uh, I'll try to post those in the little header for this. Um, there's some articles coming out and I'll, I'll post them up as they as they go, but I'm still looking for mainstream media. I don't know how this changes without it. Um, what's gone up so far hasn't really moved the GoFundMe very much. And I don't know what to do because I don't see any help forthcoming from the government so far, not even a sign of it, not even setting up a meeting with these new staffers. And I'm, you know, this, it's great that they're making me a joint finance ministry and health case, but I haven't talked to any of the staff responsible. So nobody's sort of being held to account. The fact that I ran out of money in mid-January and, and that is psychological torture. It's physical torture because I'm doing minimal supports, but it's also psychologically torturous. And that's why I was talking about the whole touching the void. Like there's a measure of despair that I'm, I'm a little worried about um, because it's really hard. To, I don't, I'm not having huge amounts of things to hold on to right now to say, okay, help is coming or help might come or this might help or I don't know. I don't know. So uh, <laughs> the holiday seasons are feeling really hard to me right now. Um, so I don't know. I might talk about that a little more in another in another update. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you are a fellow post-viral sufferer, particularly if you are myalgic encephalomyelitis from any cause, then um, I, I see you. I see you. You're not alone. 